Along with Bill Hayes, I'm Don Landry. Welcome to The Gist of It. This week, we're all about bad judgment. Not personally, not the two of us. We could do a whole show oh, on absolutely. bad decisions we have each made over the years. Bad judgment over a kid's long hair in Michigan. Bad judgment over pay raises at Toronto City Council. Bad judgment over the choice of campaign songs in the Republican primary. And bad judgment by Brian Burke taking on Don Cherry. Oh, there's more bad judgment by a woman who breaks up with her sick boyfriend and wants his Super Bowl tickets too. We talk about all of this bad judgment and not-so-bad medicine. I just saw John Bon Jovi's commercial for Advil. I guess it's sex, ibuprofen, and rock and roll. Politics, sports, entertainment, pop culture. It's all fair game here. Somewhere in the city of Toronto, two brains are about to collide. What will remain is the gist of it. Here now are Don Landry and Bill Hayes. You know, Don, you never have to look very far to find there are still some real scumbags in this world. And I'm not even talking about politics. Take the case of Jason Leah. He's not the scumbag, but listen to his story. He's a television writer from Nashville. And in November, he paid $8,000 for a pair of Super Bowl tickets for him and his girlfriend. And really, it was more for her girlfriend. She's the big football fan. Not long after that, though, he was diagnosed with bladder cancer. When he told his girlfriend that they'd been going out for five months and he was about to propose, she responded by dumping him. Now, to be fair, it is possible she was going to do that anyway, but it sure doesn't look good. And to make it look even worse, she still wanted the tickets. Uh, Ely ended up giving them to another cancer patient and his father, which is at least somewhat a nice end to the story. There is a difference, by the way, between scumbags and idiots. She's a scumbag. The following people are idiots. J.T. Gaskins is a 17-year-old student at a school in Burton, Michigan. Administrators at the school, Madison Academy, suspended him because his hair hangs over his ears and his eyes. Now, I saw a picture of him. He doesn't look really outlandish. Okay, that's a school rule. We all get that, right? The thing is, Gaskins is a leukemia survivor, and he's growing his hair so he can donate it to a group called Locks of Love. They make hair pieces for disadvantaged children coping from hair loss from cancer treatment. Sometimes, you know, rules are meant to be broken. Sometimes you need to be rigid with rules. This doesn't appear to be one of those cases, does it? No. I, I, I'm perplexed as to why common sense just didn't rule here. I get how you wouldn't want just your normal everyday student letting their hair grow an inch too long. That might to some seem a little bit rigid, but then you go, well, then... Once you get there, then it's another inch. Then it's another yep. inch. So, And I've said this before. My great example is in hockey, if you're offside, you're offside. Right. It's not, you're sort of offside. We're going to let it go. You, there's a line there. Cross it before the puck goes. Guess what? And I think we need to be about that, uh, be like that about more things in life. But this isn't one of those cases. Well, here's Clearly, the there was an opportunity to figure out why this kid was doing this. And not only to allow him to do it. But to hold him up as a shining example of somebody who's a, a solid, solid citizen doing something so very nice from the bottom of their heart and something that the whole student body could get behind. That's the whole thing. They had an opportunity here to turn it into a positive, and they didn't. And to use the hockey analogy, I agree with you, by the way, on the offside. It either is or it isn't. But this is more like an icing call. There's some discretion involved, yeah. and they didn't use it. They did not. In fact, you know what I would have done? Maybe gone the other way. Instead of suspending this guy and looking like an idiot, and, you know, deservedly so. You're an idiot for doing that. Mm -hmm. you're, you're right. I mean, I think that was the word you used. It's appropriate here. Go beyond it. Don't even just allow him to do it. 
encourage the other students to grow their hair, get it cut off for the same charity. What a great bonding experience for your whole student body this could have been. As for the girl who dumped her her cancer patient boyfriend and then still wanted the Super Bowl tickets, let me put it this way. Even Newt Gingrich knows that was going a little bit too far. Don, the Super Bowl is coming up this weekend in Indianapolis. No, it's not this weekend, is it? Oh, I'm going I'm going flea marketing all weekend and yeah, well, antiquing. Yeah. That's, I'd already planned it. I, Damn. Like you, I might find an excuse not to watch what? it, too. I, I'm not you a fan of either team. I will watch a little bit of it, of course Doesn't I will. matter. If you, we, well, we talked about this when we were on News Talk 1010 last week about the NHL All-Star game. You can always find a rooting interest, and it's the Super Bowl. It should be a very good game. And I probably so. will. I'm not sure who it'll be, though, whether it'll be Eli Manning and the New York Giants. I kind of like Coughlin. I, I don't know why he's the, you know, but he's one of those guys that uh, he's, he seems to always win with teams that you look at and go, I don't know how he's doing it. Yeah. Um, Brady, I'm not a big Brady fan. I don't know why. I, his greatness is unquestioned. He's he's a fabulous quarterback. Belichick is, is a fabulous coach. Um, I watched a little bit, actually, uh, the NFL Network had a couple of, of uh, shows on Belichick earlier this year. And he was he actually came across as human, which yeah. you know you don't tend to think of when you see him on the sideline. Um, so it, there's there's greatness there as well. I'm I'm still torn as to w- which way I'll, I'll go on that. But the real story around Indianapolis isn't Eli Manning; it's his brother Peyton, who I could make an argument is the greatest quarterback of his generation, even greater than Tom Brady. Although this is Brady's fifth Super Bowl and. Uh, Peyton's been to two, I think. All right, what's your argument? How, well, the argument that is argument? that the year that uh, he didn't play, because Peyton got uh, injured and had surgery before the season started, his team went from a possible playoff contender to the worst team in the league. It tells you how valuable he was and right. always was. Uh, there was all t- kinds of people saying over the years that he's not just a quarterback, he's another coach on the field, and he certainly was. Uh now listen, Brady's fabulous, but the whole team is fabulous. That whole organization is fabulous. Yes, but they won nothing with Drew Bledsoe. I mean, I you know, well, and then Tom Brady goes in and and, and they start he, winning Super Bowls. I'm not so. suggesting that he's not great. I'm just suggesting that Manning's greater. That's all I'm saying. They're both fabulous quarterbacks. I mean, this is one of those arguments that you know who's better, Aaron or Mays? You can't lose. Yeah, you I, know? I think you're right. And I I personally prefer to watch Peyton Manning play. I have tons of respect for Tom Brady. And again, yeah, if you pick Manning and I'm stuck with Tom Brady on my team, yeah, okay, yeah, that's okay, good enough for me, but I would have picked Peyton first. Uh, I love watching that guy play. He's just, he's the most animated guy at the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. yelling and pointing and gesticulating. And, uh, and I think, you know, there's, there's more to your argument than just, uh, you know, one-on-one this quarterback's abilities versus that quarterback's abilities. And it has to do with the organization, like the New England Patriots exactly. putting together a team around a good quarterback. And you could suggest that Peyton Manning would have won the same number, if not one more Super Bowl than Tom Brady uh, did with the New England Patriots. I think you could make so that far. argument pretty easily. Well, and, and, and you know, part of your argument of Peyton Manning would have to be that you know, they're they're one of the, the NFL's top teams, an underachieving team still a little bit. I think they mm-hmm. should have won another Super Bowl. And they could have won a couple more Super Bowls if they were really the juggernaut they were supposed to be. But then you take them out of the equation, and what are they left with? The in worst team in the league. Yeah. Now, to be fair, and I don't want to necessarily put uh, any more uh, wind in your sails as far as this argument goes, but one of the problems that, that Indianapolis had is that they never, ever let his backup play. 
I mean, it was Curtis Painter, and, you know, yeah. what did he do? <laughs> he clearly wasn't ready when the opportunity was there. Uh, and over the years, he had, uh, and I can't even remember the guy's name, but a guy who backed up uh, Peyton Manning for about seven or eight seasons never played a down. Think about that. that guy's name. You know the guy I mean, was too. Was it Sorgi? Sorgi, yeah. it was. Jim Sorgi. Yeah. Uh, you'd see him... It, Preseason was great. Hey, look, Sorgi. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. is. You know, it's like a sighting of, of, of a Bigfoot or something. You know, I, I still have high hopes for Curtis Painter. Do uh, you I mean, really? I think he looks like a guy who can play. It's a terrible situation, not ready. I, I hope the guy resurfaces because I, I liked what I saw of him in some ways. I liked his style. I think he might be a guy who can play a little bit. Well, you know what? He, he may know, never get the Canada opportunity. Come on up to Canada for a bit and get your confidence back and, and do that thing and then be Jeff Garcia. That could happen. Yeah. Because it's quite likely he won't get another shot in the NFL. So he may have to come north. Well, to I'd playing. like to see him here. I mean, But I've been wrong about that before. When I saw Curtis Painter, you know, realizing bad situation, not ready. Uh, but I, I see some raw ability. The last time, not the last time, but one of the last times I saw a guy playing in the NFL and went, hey, I'd like to see him play in Canada. I think he might be pretty good. That happened to be a guy playing with the Miami Dolphins at the time, and his name was Cleo Lemon. Yeah, well, you were kind of half right on that. <laughs> I don't know. You know even he played in the CFL. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that he did do. You know? Um, but I, I would argue, actually, if you want to get into Cleo Lemon for a minute, I think his time in the NFL hurt him because I think he came up here thinking this is going to be easy. And... It wasn't, uh, but that's a different uh, argument. Let's talk quickly about the game this weekend. Uh, New England's favored, and rightly so. I can see that. I think they're probably on paper the better team, but I really like what I'm seeing out of the Giants. They seem to be a lot like the Packers were last year, kind of coming together at the right time. Well, and that's exactly what they did when they beat the Patriots a few years ago, mm-hmm. too. Remember the Patriots they, they were undefeated going into the Super Bowl. The Giants had been building, building, peaking. And, uh, and got it done on Super Bowl Sunday. Yep. So it's very similar. We better hope that that doesn't happen in some ways. I am rooting for the Giants. I, I, I am. With money? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> no. Just with my heart and soul. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm with you. I, I, I wouldn't pay any money on this either, one. But, but uh, the last time these two met, I mean, there are stock market indicators. And whenever the AFC wins a Super Bowl, you tend to have uh, a bull market that following year or for the rest of that year. And whenever it goes the other way, you tend to have a bear market. And when the New York Giants beat the New England Patriots in 2008, Bill, I don't know if you recall what oh, happened to the economy good. the rest of that year. 33% yeah. dump uh, that the Dow took. The rest of it is history. So if you want, you want to, this to happen again, ri- I said if you... No, I... I that's why I'm conflicted, Bill, about this whole thing. If you if you want the recession to continue, in fact, maybe dip a little bit more, go Giants, go big. Oh. But if you want prosperity to return, it seemed like you have to root for the New England Patriots. Real quickly, if the Giants win, Eli Manning then has two Super Bowl victories. Does posterity look at him as as good as or almost as good as his brother? Well, it will because people go by championships, and I think that's unfair. I mean, you because that's I said, the Super Bowl trophy, the Grey Cup, the Stanley Cup, and on and on. And on. Those are team awards. They very much They're are. They're not individual awards. And we all know in every sport you can point to guys who were sensationally great athletes who never won a championship. Doesn't make them a lesser player. So in, in my mind, if it comes to Eli or Peyton, 
as it came to, you know, Brady versus Peyton. I'm picking Peyton. You can have Eli. I'll, you know what? I'll take Archie, their dad. And he was just as good. Same sort of thing. Great quarterback. Never won anything because he played on lousy teams. It's Phil Hayes and Don Landry, and you're getting the gist of it. Bill, I've been watching with some amusement as Brian Burke and Don Cherry tussle back and forth in the public eye. Everybody likes a good feud, and these guys seem to be at the center of more than their fair share lately. In the case of Cherry v. Burke, I won't surprise many here when I side with Sir Grapes. I'll admit that my opinion on issues involving him can be at least somewhat colored by my personal fondness for the man. I don't know him exceptionally well, but well enough to know how much I like the guy. Burke I know much less, and have to say, I think there's a bit of a disconnect between his public persona and his personal one, and it's his public persona that I quarrel with so often and do again here. So Cherry doesn't like Burke's coach, Ron Wilson, and elbows him whenever possible. So Cherry whacks at the Leafs' inability to make the playoffs in recent history. So what? He's not the only one, and unless I'm missing something, Grape certainly hasn't gotten to the level where he needs to apologize, as he did to former NHL enforcers when he called them pukes, nor has he come to the spot where a formal complaint needed to be lodged with the CBC, as Burke apparently did. The irony in this is that these two guys are very similar in one very substantial way. They're both fiercely loyal to their comrades and friends, and defend, 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 even to the point of ridiculousness at times. Burke is especially guilty of that. Remember him admonishing the media for having the audacity of calling Todd Bertuzzi's character into question after he attacked Steve Moore? And Grapes defends his view of the honor of the game with the same great vigor and at times misguided loyalty. The one who's offside here, though, is Burke, as Don Cherry's only crime that I can see here is not playing patty cake with Wilson and the Leafs' GM. For a guy who says he doesn't care what media types say or write, Brian Berkshire spends a lot of time trying to control what they say and write. Ain't that the truth? I, there's a, another similarity I would say about the two of them. They're both bullies or at least have that kind of characteristic. I, I, I'm not so sure bully is the right word, but they like bullying. And in Burke's particular case, he's pretty thin-skinned which is not the case with Cherry. Cherry understands it's a gig. You don't like it, so what? He doesn't really care. I, at least I, that's the sense I get. I don't know him as well as you do. I've met him a couple of times. He's somewhat likable in person. Um, Burke is a guy a lot of people seem to think uh, is doing this to take the spotlight off the team. That's been said about Wilson and his behavior as well. I'm not sure I buy it. I think that, in fact, both Burke and Wilson are extremely arrogant, and I would expect that they would be a little better about taking the criticism than they obviously are. Yeah, I think you need to have a, at least a certain level of arrogance to do these jobs sure in Toronto. But uh, again, with Brian Burke, and I remember talking to Nick Kiprios about this at one point, loved playing for Brian Burke. I guess he did it in Hartford. Mm -hmm. Because Brian Burke will do, as, as I mentioned with Bertuzzi, he will defend people in his organization. My goodness, he held a media conference to, to show you his broken heart because he had to send Colton Orr down. He is fiercely loyal to people in his organization. He's fiercely loyal to whoever's paying him at the time, You know whether it's the Vancouver Canucks, the Hartford Whalers, right. now the Toronto Maple Leafs. So um, I, that plays very well with the rank and file, with the troops. And I think it just makes them maybe more loyal to the organization and to the man who is at the top of the organization, at least, and, and by association to the organization. So there may be uh, some great currency in that. 
And maybe there's more method than madness to what Brian Burke is, is doing here and has done, but I, I don't think so. And again, not knowing the man very well, I think he just is a reactionary. I think he does get upset. I think he's got a thin skin. And um, again, I think he's just worried way too much about what people are saying and writing and trying way too hard and expending way too much energy trying to control that message. Yeah, and he can't do it. And not in this market. Look, the, let's bring up again the Colton Orr situation because there's two ways to look at that. And people who were writing about it, talking about it, actually did look at it two different ways. I, I absolutely believe that Brian Burke was being genuine when he said that he felt bad for Colton Orr. He's a good guy. In Brian Burke's vision of what hockey is all about, Colton Orr fits in as the perfect team player. He stands up for his teammates. That's what you do. He likes that truculent style. Certainly Colton Orr can't give you anything else. So that's exactly what he brings to the table. But the flip side of that, and something that was mentioned at the time, and something I'm sure Burke was upset about was, he was also decrying the fact that he'd made a mistake. He, he signed a guy for four years, a million dollars against the cap, and now that player and what he does is obsolete in today's game. That's Brian Burke's mistake. It's not the game's mistake. It's not the way anything else happened. He screwed up. I think Grapes has played this much better than, than Brian Burke has. And that's not always the case. Grapes is an emotional guy. Again, uh, everything much. we describe in sometimes similar. just right and, and, and won't play it um, as intelligently as he could have or should have in many cases. But in this case, I think he is outsmarting Brian Burke because all of his comments have been about, well, we used to be friends. We knew each other. I don't know what's happened here. He obviously doesn't like me. I like him. What's Brian Burke gone and done? He's gone, I don't want to say behind Grapes' back because they're not really close friends, but I mean, he's gone through another channel to, to lodge a complaint about Don Cherry, see him in the hall, pull him into a room. Have a chat. You guys have a chat. Absolutely. Have it out. Hey, rent the barn that you wanted to rent with Kevin Lowe and have fist, whatever it takes. Do it man to man. To go and complain to Don Cherry's bosses seems childish. <laughs> This just keeps happening in presidential campaigns or primaries. And, I, and it's happened again. Mitt Romney, who just romped over Newt Gingrich in Florida yesterday, came out on stage to Canaan's waving flag. Let's play a little bit of that. Right now. When I get older, I will be stronger. They'll call me freedom, just like a waving flag. And then it goes back, and then it goes back, and then it goes back. Song. Everybody knows that they use it mm -hmm. for the World Cup. Uh, Kanon immediately takes to Twitter and says, I do not endorse this message, basically saying, do not use. <laughs> so don't use the song. Just a few days ago, we learned that Newt Gingrich couldn't use Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. Right. Because, you know, uh, they are suing him, saying we did not. By the way, the Survivor song that might be more appropriate for Newt Gingrich right now is The Search is Over. Maybe, maybe <laughs> good he point. can Very good point. that one. But this, is, this has happened. Michelle Bachman used American Girl by Tom Petty, and he went, Whoa, no, you don't. You don't get to use it. John Mellencamp uh, and the Foo Fighters both asked John McCain to please stop using our songs. And in the 80s, Ronald Reagan used Born in the USA by Bruce Springsteen, who was not pleased by it, but also people... Then pointed out to Reagan and his and his folks. Do you listen to the lyrics? Yeah, it's not really this pro This is not American. a proud song. No. This is about a disaffected Vietnam veteran. 
they made a mistake on a couple of levels. But it, people just play the tunes and think they can get away with it, and often they can't. Mostly Republicans, as it turns out, because yeah. again, we've had this conversation before. I think creative types tend to be a little bit left leaning, don't you think? I think that's true. Um, I also think that uh, when you, when it comes to doing things like this, uh, a lot of times what people will say is, "Hey, do it. We'll apologize later." Yeah, you know, because it's not likely that they're going to have to pay any money to Canaan or anybody else. It's like, yeah, okay, we'll stop using it, whatever, you know. Um, and and mostly the politicos who are involved in this kind of stuff, they're in the moment. They don't really right. care. It's not, you know. For instance, if if you're going to use American Girl as as an example, um, maybe a better Tom Petty song, and again, we could use this for a whole bunch of different campaigns, would be Breakdown. You know, it's it's the kind of thing no one wants to do because it's not positive. All they're thinking about is that one line. Yeah. You know? American Girl. I'm an American Girl, or she's an American Girl, which is actually one of my favorite songs. It's a really good song. Yeah, it's a great song. But, you know, I think, you know, Michelle Bachman could have opted for at the end of her campaign, um, don't come around here no more. Great. Yeah, or don't do me like that. (laughs) (laughs) Petty might have been A OK with that, actually. (laughs) It's it's funny though, you're right. It doesn't happen to uh, to Democrats a whole lot. And it also doesn't happen and again this might be where the politicals can kind of get to it. It doesn't happen in lesser profile campaigns. For instance, the mayor in Tampa can use it. No yeah. one will ever know. It's true. Um, Newt, Crazy Train would have been a better 80s tune. <laughs> or, you know what? R.E.M., Man on the Moon. That would have been pretty... You may have actually gotten... To be fair, not all artists, of course, are going to say no to Republicans. Uh, Toby Keith in the U.S. is is, is a well-known country artist and, uh, and staunch right-wing advocate. Kid Rock has given permission, I think, to Mitt Romney to use uh, one of his songs. Which one is it? Do you remember? Uh, I can't no, remember. Born oh, Born Free. Free. Born yeah. Free. So it's it's not all so one-sided. It's just that we often get these stories about songs being pulled because the artist said, no, I do not believe in what you are doing. And it's, it's often those on the right uh, who have the songs pulled because a left-leaning artist has said, uh, I'm not down with that. If you believe... This is The Gist of It with Landry and Hayes. Optics are very important in politics. I'll say. In everything, but particularly in politics, aren't they? And so uh, news today that Toronto City Council has budgeted for a 2% pay hike for themselves optically uh, makes them look disingenuous, I think, makes them look... Like politicians, unfortunately, like do as I say, wow. not as I do, right? Yeah, yeah it Here doesn't look are. good at all. In an era of cost cutting, the mayor leads that charge. Mm-hmm. His lieutenants are right there with him. We don't have money. We have to cut costs wherever we possibly can. Yet there it is in the budget, looking for final approval here. A 2%, maybe as high as 3% pay hike for counselors, which would put them over $100,000 a year, from 99000 and change to 101000 right. somewhere around there. But it just seems like a really thoughtless or idiotic, stupid idea to do this. And even some of Rob Ford's cronies, if you will, are, are decrying this and saying, we, we shouldn't be doing this. Doug Holliday, the, the deputy mayor, is one of them. Giorgio Mammoliti, who rarely makes sense to me at all, <laughs> but even he... <laughs> could smell out this one 
and and knows it's a bad idea. So, I, is this is this is this truly something that they did out of the uh, with with uh, integrity um, and, and and full intention, or do you think this might be a little bit of political misdirection, just so they can pull it back and say this is outrageous, and and the right players can do that. The right players can say this is crazy, this is outrageous, we shouldn't do it, we need to overturn this. Well, it's possible that it's a it's some kind of a political football because they they could be uh, turning the cities out cities workers out on Sunday and likely will be. Um, so yeah, there's there's a, a possibility that that's something that they will use as a negotiation ploy. Um, but I would think there's other ways to do it than making yourself look so bad. I mean, that's really what this is about. You mentioned yeah. it's optics. I don't know why politicians tend to do that. The old do as I say, not as I do kind of thing. I will say this. I do think that city councilors should make that kind of money. I don't have a problem with them making money because in my belief, it's my belief rather, that you get what you pay for. If you're spending $40,000 on city councilors, you're going to get $40,000 city councilors. So you got to pay them. I get that. Uh, I just think that maybe you should wait till next year to do it or the year after or maybe the year after that. Right. Now, the reason I wonder if this was allowed to get to this point simply so others could look heroic, or one of the reasons I think that is, the mayor, Rob Ford, uh, has let it be known, he did that late on Tuesday night, where we're recording this podcast on a Wednesday morning, that he won't be he, accepting... I won't be taking right, this. Yeah, of course. ...a pay increase. Mm -hmm. So this may very well have been put through by um, well-intentioned, if they were, but thoughtless counselors. You know, I, but I don't understand how that can possibly happen. The more I think about this, the more I think this has got to just be political theater. Let's push this forward a little bit so that people can be outraged by it. And then the proper people on council can be particularly outraged. Lead the example by saying, I'm not taking a pay increase. That's the mayor. Mm. The deputy mayor then says, we shouldn't be doing this. Giorgio Mammoliti then says, we shouldn't do this. We should look at this again. We better have another vote on this. They can be the guys who continue to be the only ones who were cutting the gravy at uh, City Hall. It was the mushy middle and the left, the communists. You know the guys who were two steps left of Joe Stalin? Those are the ones who wanted but the Don, raise. That's exactly the reason why I, I don't believe any of this. Because those guys are not politically stupid. Why would they do this? I mean, you know, the whole idea, it, it, if it makes sense in any way, it's that we can say later on, we decided to forego our raise so, but that's exactly what I'm saying. Well, well that, I agree that with that. Exactly but but your, the question is, who's doing it? I'm not sure that it's the left here. I, I you know, I'm not. I, no, I'm no, not I don't sure think it is anybody. That's what I'm saying. If, if, if you know, I don't know if I said it clearly that that it is orchestrated by the guys on the right. Oh, I see what uh, you're to, saying. Okay, you know, to get it that far, just so that they can then slam the brakes right, on it and okay. say, "No, this is wrong," and blame it on the middle council. But he, don't blame you think it that could backfire too, though? Because sure. even within this this particular atmosphere that we're in right now, that they would even think for a moment that they deserve 2% when everyone no, else don't. is getting but I cut? No, they But they never had the intention of taking it. And even if it still goes through, a guy like the mayor says, well, I'm not taking the increase. And then Holiday can say, I'm not taking the increase. And Mamaliti can say, I'm not taking the increase. And Del Grande can say, I'm not taking the I'd increase. I'd like to know. And any counselor who does is going to look like a they municipality to, wrecking con. Absolutely. And, and again, a, a very good reason why this isn't going to happen. I'd like to see who voted for this, though. 
Right. Because that would give us some kind of an idea of just who's behind it. And you can, yeah. I mean, I do agree with you, too, that they should make decent amount of money and actually get cost of living yeah, increases but, when warranted. But in a budget crunch situation, in a financial crisis, we find ourselves in the midst of that as a municipality. We've been told that for so long now. You can't be voting yourself an increase. You need to set the example. And they did it last year. Mm-hmm. They, they held it. They need to do it again this year, particularly when one of the unions you're about to lock out comes to you and says, here's on the, what we offer on the table now is a three-year pay freeze. If, if they're willing to do that, you have this do makes same. you look doubly bad oh, yeah, if you vote does. for a raise for yourself. Don, uh, one of the things that a lot of people were watching this past weekend was the verdict in the Shafia trial. I won't get too much into it, but uh, Mohammed Shafia, his wife and his second wife and his eldest son, convicted of murdering three of his daughters and his first wife. Um, a, an honor killing, or four honor killings, I guess. And uh, they were convicted of first-degree murder. No real surprise there. It means they're going away for 25 years each. Well, we'll see how the appeal comes out, Bill. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Good luck with that. More mm-hmm. billable hours for the defense attorney. Well done. Of course. Of course there was going to be an appeal. There always is. A conservative senator has weighed in on this case uh, today. And in fact, on all cases of such heinous crimes, his name is Pierre-Hugues Boivenu, and he was appointed... Uh, by Prime Minister Harper in 2009. He is known as a tough-on-crime conservative senator, and how. He has said, with respect to the Shafia trial, but then beyond that in general terms, I'm quoting here, each assassin should have the right to a rope in his cell to make a decision about his or her life. Basically, he advocates those who are convicted of murder that they be given the wherewithal to kill themselves if they so choose to. If they want to take their life at any given time, let's let oh, them do it. Like the Nazis did with Rommel. We'll Is that give you what, a gun, yeah. one, just one bullet, and we'll walk out of the room, and then when we hear you shoot it off, we can come back it's and take the body. It's up to you. Well, look it. Let's, let's not just cast this aside and say the guy's old and senile Nuts. and crazy. Um, would If Paul Bernardo were, were given uh, the means with which to kill himself and did it, would you lose sleep? No, Bernardo wouldn't do it. Russell Williams would. But I would rather, like, the thing is, I, while I don't like the idea of having to spend whatever we have to spend on these guys, I do like the idea of having them sit in a cell for a long, long time, especially guys like that. Uh, and in, in, I would think, both of those cases, and I would guess perhaps in the Shafia cases as well because there were mass murders, um, they're never going to get out, any right. of them. You know, uh, maybe the kid might. Uh, he's, he was 18 when it happened, 21 yeah. now. He might get out in his 60s. But those people should stay in the general population, I believe, uh, and should live to be like 90, 100, whatever it is, Never get out. I, I I think if we have a problem in this country, it's not that we're not allowing them to kill themselves. It's that we somehow allow some of them to go free after 25 years. I say life is life. For 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 me, I, I want society kept as safe as possible, but I also cringe about the possibilities of, of what the death penalty can bring when it comes to 
mistaken identity when it comes to uh, miscarriages of justice. And, and when you think of a guy like David Milgard could have been put yeah. to death, Donald Marshall could have been put to death. So I long ago put that to bed in my own mind that I, I don't want the death penalty simply because, my goodness, what if you, you put an innocent person to death? You can't turn it around. It, it Now, in, in the cases of Marshall and Milgard, I mean, they're in jail for years and years, but at least you can turn that around. They can get some compensation. It has irreparably changed their lives, but they still have lives. I don't think any of us could live with putting an innocent person to death. But that's not what this is. They, no, that, that's not what this is. To death. Yeah, I was, I was going to, to say, beyond that, um, I mean, th there isn't much doubt in some of these. Like Bernardo, there isn't much doubt. But mm -hmm. because you can have some doubt in some, and I'm not sure where you would put the line there, unless somebody said, yes, I did it. But even crazy people will say, yes, I did it, and maybe they didn't. So keeping society safe, people keeping people incarcerated, I'm okay with that. But the senator goes on, Mr. Boyvenu, goes on to make an economic argument, and specifically as it reflects or as it uh, pertains to the Shafia case in that, his economic reasoning is it's going to cost $10 million to keep them incarcerated for life. I'm not so sure that that number is correct, to Can't tell you be. the truth. That seems like an awful, awfully inflated amount of money. But let's say it's not that. It's still a substantial amount of money. Is it all right for the man to just be making an economic argument when it comes to the lives of anybody, even if they are convicted killers? No, I, absolutely not. I do believe this. I think that the conservatives, not just here, but I would say in the States uh, and maybe even everywhere else, uh, have done a very good job of scaring us. It's what they do. Uh, if it's not necessarily on a local level, it's on a, an international level. We get scared about Iraq. We get scared about Iran. We get scared about what might happen here. We get scared about someone's coming to take your uh, whatever you have in your house. They're always making us afraid. And that lends into the narrative they have of putting more people away, putting them away for longer periods of time. That, I think, is what this argument really is all about. You know, that $10 million to keep those three people in jail for the rest of their lives really comes down to about six or seven million if you can put 40 or 50 more people in. You know, I, I, I have a hard time believing what Mr. Boisvenu is saying here. Um, I think the money is, is uh, way inflated, like a lot. But I, I also think that for people like that, for people who are really special in that regard, the Williamses, the Bernardos, the Olsons, whatever it is you have to pay to keep them out of society, it's well worth it. I don't think that, you know, we want to judge Mr. Boyvenu too, too harshly when you reflect on what may have brought him to this place. And that is, he is the president of the Murdered or Missing Persons Families Association. He established this group uh, after his daughter, Julie, 27 at the time, abducted, raped, and murdered by a repeat offender in 2002. So you can see where he could possibly get to a position like this. I, I have great sympathies Certainly. for that. Doesn't mean that the logic is there. Doesn't mean that we would accept this uh, emotional position generally speaking, as Canadian society, as a civilized society. You, However, you can reserve some sympathy for a guy who I, suffered such a, a terrible I loss. have a problem with his argument, though, Don, because it appears to me that what the argument he's making really is an economic one, which would indicate that, you know, if they, if they are given this decision and decide not to, you, you know, we were still going to spend this money, and he apparently doesn't want to do that. Um, look, I, I 
thank God I can't put myself in his shoes. I, and, and I'm grateful for that. And I do think it's terrible that someone, a repeat offender, did it. But that just goes back to my argument from before, which means you do it once, you're gone. Life should mean life. It's Don Landry and Bill Hayes, and you're getting the gist of it. Hi there. Hey, Don, good to see you. Shake. That's a pretty good handshake. That's a great handshake. I got a nice, firm handshake. Yeah, you did. Yep. Happy to see you. I'm mm-hmm. confident. Not too long. You didn't grab me. Uh, you didn't sort do- of thing. I didn't do any of the things that are, are clearly wrong when it comes to handshakes. Top 10 handshake types and what they reveal about you is something we came across on the internet this week. Don't know if we'll get to all 10 here, but Sweaty Palm is a handshake type. Yeah, and it's uh, it will indicate apparently that a person is nervous. Uh, their sympathetic nervous system often becomes overreactive, and sometimes that results in sweaty palms. So you are encouraged to do what you can to put this individual at ease, or you know, crush them. Yeah, I guess if you, you could, want, yeah, you, depending on how you look at it. You yeah. ever heard of the dead fish? Oh yeah, I hate the dead fish. Yeah, I don't like it. It's an indifferent handshake. It feels like the person has no bones in their hand. This can indicate a passive or reserved personality. This inshake, uh, this handshake, ranks as the number two least favored. Individuals with this type of clasp are generally not people focused. All right, I I'll can't remember that, the last yeah. time I had a dead fish handshake, but you know it when you get it. The brush off. This handshake type is a quick grasp and then a release that feels like your hand is being shoved aside. It's a statement of it's my turf and my agenda that matters. Yours doesn't. Do you recall getting that one? That's well, just a... I, I guess, but I, 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 I'm not so sure that I really put an awful lot of thought into a lot of that. I mean, to me, that's just a handshake with someone who, you know, it, it, it's almost obligatory. The yeah. dead fish, I'll buy into the dead fish one because I think most of what you said about that, I'll, that's pretty much how I see people who, who shake like that. We're told handshakes are very important. We're told first impressions are very important, and, mm-hmm. I, and I guess they are. But, I mean, they're, they're not only impressions. I long ago decided that my first impressions of people may not be accurate. It doesn't mean I discount them. It's usually the second impression. If it fortifies the first one, then I right. kind of go, okay. But if I get a conflicting second impression, then guess what? It's like rock, paper, scissors. I got to go, you know, the third the round third and one. the best yeah, of exactly. three. Yeah. The controller, you feel your hand being pulled toward the person or strongly guided in a different direction, maybe towards a chair. People who do this are controllers. Yeah, they, they want you to go in a certain direction. Yeah, it's not very common, though. I, I like this one, the politician. Your hand is firmly grasped, as in a normal handshake. However, their other hand may cover your hand or be placed on your forearm. It's the double. I have done that to people, and usually it's because you know I'm really happy to see them. Maybe I haven't seen them in a long mm-hmm. time. I, I've never used that handshake as a ploy to be political, to be... Oh, I think you want their to, vote. I think that's what it is. Yeah, to, to give somebody, you know, the wrong impression. I, I mean, I don't think of it. I've never used it in a phony baloney fashion. I've tried I'm offended. Not to. You've never done that with yeah. me? No. Well, never. <laughs> finger vice. That's because we manhug all the time, don't we? <laughs> finger vice. Somebody grabs your fingers, not your entire hand. Yeah, I've had that one once in a while. But I always think that's a mistake. I've done that to people, but yeah. it's because I missed. Okay, see? Well, you know? many of these handshakes can be just yeah. misses, I guess. This person is insecure, Bill. Uh-oh. And they want to keep e- you at a distance. The bone crusher, we've had this one. Oh. 
Uh, the message of squeezing your hand until you cringe, clearly designed to intimidate you. We don't. You've run into people like that. Some yep. of them are just big people who are like Chris Schultz. Shake his hand. I don't, I don't think he's trying to intimidate no. me. We've known each other a long time, but every time he shake, I had to slow him down. I, like at one point, like every week, he would come into the studio and go, "Hey," and he'd slap the hand and crush it. And I just yeah. like, you Whoa. have to just take it easy because you're hurting. One time, he actually hurt my thumb. The most memorable uh, handshake I ever had this type was George Shavalo. Because well, again, you know, yeah, he wasn't really meat cleavers. He wasn't exactly big, meaty hands, yep. very firm. Didn't really hurt, but I just went, "Wow, that's a handshake. That's yeah. a guy. Well, that's a hand. I mean, that yeah. guy's hand." Because uh, I've I've met George and, and shaken his hand as well. Yeah. I think though, one of the things with that particular handshake is a lot of people are told at some point, you know what, you got to have a firm handshake, and yeah. I think they just kind of misinterpret what firm means. Lobster claw. Like the claw of a lobster, the other person's thumb and fingers touch the palm of your hand. I've never had that one no, happen to that's me. A I don't weird. I've had a friend, you know, uh, years ago who who shook my hand and, and and stuck his finger out and wiggled it at my palm just to be yeah, funny. Well. And I'm like, what the hell was that? The hand wrestler. Did you give me your number? <laughs> I don't think he's a friend. Like I said, years ago, Bill. I, I, <laughs> your hand is taken normally and then twisted under the other person's. Oh, I've had that one. I've had people who grab your hand and then turn their the their back of their hand up top, so oh, yours is under. Yeah, you you know what that means? It's uh, it's that they they want to end up on top, so you can play that if you want, or you can be frustrated by it. I mean, if someone does that to you, know that. They want to get what they want to get, but if you can convince them they're getting what they get, uh, what they want, then you know, then, then maybe you actually win that one. And the teacup the handshake teacup. feels normal, except that there is no palm to palm contact. The other person's palm is cupped like a teacup. This handshake indicates the person is hiding something from you. Okay, I don't know that I've ever had that, that one either. No, to I... tell you the truth. Hmm. Um, years ago, yeah, I was taught. I probably by my dad, probably by teachers, yep. probably just society Strong, to have handshake. a decent handshake. Yep. Don't have an overpowering one. Don't have a really limp one the either, and you'll be okay. Oh, I, I'm really curious. What yep. could be worse than the dead fish? Because you said it was the second least favorite. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't. I can't imagine anything because that's the one of all the ones we just talked about that really tells me something about someone. It's kind of. Yeah, I think so. It's like they're. They're not really connecting. You know? yeah, yeah. I get just forego the it. handshake if you're worried about yours, if you're wondering. I just What I do now is when I meet perfect strangers and, and I'm not really feeling confident about my handshake that day, I just give them a long, lingering hug. I just gather them in and I hug them for a good 25 or 30 seconds. Yeah, nothing creepy about that. No, there's nothing creepy about that. Well, once again, I can say what a week it was. Long hair ain't all bad. No Super Bowl tickets for her. The meaning of handshakes. Two teams, but three quarterbacks at the Super Bowl. And city council makes us shake our heads. Again. And there was more. As always, thanks for listening. Your feedback is welcome at DonLandry.com. For Don Landry, I'm Bill Hayes. And that's the gist of it for another week. The gist of it is available every Wednesday afternoon through iTunes or at DonLandry.com.